This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, March 20th. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And this is a weekly uh, baseball podcast. Uh, Paul, how's it going? It is going all right. Uh, Big news in Champaign today. Illinois men's basketball has a new head coach, Brad Underwood. Yes. Uh, I feel like tied our podcast. Uh, He's into analytics. Mm -hmm. So he says that. But then the only example I've heard so far is the uh, the seven seconds. Seven seconds or less thing. Um, do you feel like... So you think maybe there's he's using it broadly? Maybe, but it, it very unexpected. You know, coming from the Bob Huggins coaching tree, I don't exactly equate an analytical bent to that. Uh, to that well, Frank, Frank Martin, too. Yeah, We're both true. Still, uh, still playing. And you can't talk about Frank Martin without talking about what he wore... Sunday night. <laughs> Although so, I would never say that to his face. Uh, Bill Simmons had a great tweet. Said Coach K just got out coached by uh, the dad from Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how are your brackets? I feel like no one likes to hear about other people's brackets. Salad? No, no one's a salad. Yeah. Uh, funny story for our listeners, Paul. I'm pretty sure you already know about this. Uh, our nephew Grady, who has been on the podcast a time or two. He is uh, six years old, our uh, brother John's son. Uh, this is the first year he's got into filling out brackets. Mm-hmm. Very, very competitive. And uh, he had uh, Villanova in his final four. And, and Louisville. So, uh, yep. And then but, uh, when um, uh, Villanova lost to Wisconsin, he uh, lost it, uh, wept for quite some time. And then uh, they kind of... Uh, boosted his morale and said, you know, everyone loses the Final Four team. You know, as long as you got your champion, which was Louisville, uh, then you're all right. And then the next day, Louisville got beat. Mm-hmm. And he said he was he was fine, didn't care who won. And then uh, Louisville lost, um, and he uh, he lost it again. I remember that feeling as a kid, though. Like you were just confident that like your picks were going to be right, even though it's statistically you know impossible. I think I heard ESPN had nine million submitted and eighteen. We're still accurate after the Sweet 16. Uh, did you weep when you realized that I had picked all four <laughs> of the WBC final teams? Yeah, about that. Not good. You should be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Uh, question for you before we get into the podcast. Sure. Are you aware that David Ross, his premiere on Dancing with the Stars is tonight? If there was an internet filter that could keep David Ross <laughs> from my eyes for the rest of my life, I would sign up for it. Yeah. He is so overrated and overblown. Like, it's a good story, but, I mean, MLB's Instagram is, like, hyping up Dancing with the Stars, and the Cubs are all about it. Chris Bryant is tweeting about David Ross. But don't you feel like most uh, fringe Cubs fans, like, that they're, that Ross is their favorite player? Yeah, only because they, he's been promoted that way. Mm, I guess chicken or the egg. I don't know. He's just, he's like a career, what, 240 hitter, and... 
he had a good, really, really good final season. I feel like that's actually lost in the whole thing is he was really good. I, but don't, I feel like some of the younger Cubs players build the narrative as well. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. A lot of people are at fault, but yeah, I'm, I'm not better ratings, interested in that at all. Better ratings for Dancing with the Stars or the WBC <laughs> on okay. MLB Network. I assume Dancing with the Stars. Big Bang Theory is <laughs> a popular show. It's the most popular comedy on TV. Yeah, it's hard to believe. All right. Well, our podcast this week, uh, a little preview for you. Uh, spring training is winding down. We'll talk about some of that. Um, but the the main things we're focusing on are the World Baseball Classic. As we record this, the Netherlands and uh, Puerto Rico are mm-hmm. playing in, in the first semifinal, and then the U.S. plays Japan on Tuesday night. And I apologize. This is uh, a day later than our normal release date for our podcast, and that's because Paul and I were at the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis yesterday uh, on Sunday. So we did. We saw Michigan beat Louisville. Yeah, phenomenal environment. Mm-hmm. Two great games. Uh, yeah, so sorry this is coming a little late, but uh wanted to get it out before the U.S. played Japan. Um, our guest this week is Casey Boguslaw, uh, and he is a writer, uh, editor, and podcaster for the baseball website Read Optional. So rlbaseball.com um, is where he does his work, and he's been all over the WBC, did a great podcast series on it, previewing each team with guests from all over the world. Um, we've had one guest, I think, from outside the U.S., Jason Cascray, um, uh, from yes. Japan. Dan Rosenheck uh, works for The Economist and is based in uh, the UK, but he was actually in the US when he called. Okay. Um, so yeah, Casey interviewed uh, you know people all over the the world to talk about it. So he's he's a great uh, follow on Twitter, especially um, uh, as the WBC winds down here. So he joins us to talk about uh, just the World Baseball Classic, what we've seen so far, kind of the future of the event. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Uh, before we begin, though, our Nelly update, which we do every week, to thank him for use of Better Up as our intro song. Uh, not much going on the Nelly news front. Uh, I did see that um, the uh, the respectable media outlet um, TMZ caught up with Nelly to get his reaction to the death of rock and roll legend Chuck Berry who passed away over the weekend. Uh, like Nelly, Barry has uh, ties to the St. Louis area. Uh, and then uh, this was uh, Nelly's response, brought to you by TMZ. Yeah, we just lost a St. Louis legend. Yes, yeah, we did, man. Yeah, we did. That's, that's terrible, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, we lost the first king of St. Louis. You know what I'm saying? One of the first kings of rock and roll, so... You know, today wasn't good. Who, who, who does the city know more, like you or him? Though, I mean, I, you know, it really, it really don't matter. Right. Who they know don't matter. The facts are the facts. Who they know don't matter. It don't, you know, that's irrelevant. We talking about facts. Half the history and the things that's been made in this country, the kids don't know. Right, that's true. But the facts are the facts. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, them facts. Favorite song? Chuck Berry? Yeah. Uh, come on, man. Oh, come on. Johnny B. Good, fuck it up. I appreciate my photo. Well, that was an intelligent interview. So Nelly couldn't name one Chuck Berry song. Paul, I'm sure uh, you can name at least one, right? Uh, Johnny B. Good, of course. Do you know that song? Of course. How's it go? 
Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but do you know how it goes? I was going to play it. Uh, he also, Chuck Berry sang Run Rudolph Run, which sounds very similar in terms of the beat to Johnny Be Good. So uh, I'll uh, play those right now, but it uh, seems like he just found one good little little track and, and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, Johnny Be Good, and then Run Rudolph Run for your listening enjoyment. Rest in peace, Chuck. There you have it. I think we played Johnny Be Good in Pet Band. Yeah, it does. It does. Junior high. It does sound familiar. All right. Well, uh, moving on to baseball, uh, we do have one brief announcement. Uh, uh, Podcast guest, one of our favorites, Alan Nathan. Uh, I mentioned last time that he's giving a uh, uh, lecture on the physics of baseball in Chicago. Wanted to give you the details uh, for listeners that might be in the area. Thursday, March 30th from 6 to 7.30 at the Chicago Public Library. Um, so check that out if you're in And the address Chicago. is right there on Michigan Avenue? or Chicago Public Library. I assume there's just one. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll link to it in the podcast episode page. Uh, we also have a listener email. Uh, you can email uh, the podcast at uh, afootinthebox at gmail.com. Uh, Matt from Minnesota writes... Based on the Economist segment last week, do you anticipate that Jason Hayward will have a better season offensively? How do his spring training stats look? I uh, I looked at this uh, in 2017 so far uh, through March 20th. 38 spring training at bats, uh, slash line of 132, 214, and 263. Solid. Which is not good. Uh, but if you compare that against his career spring training numbers... Uh, in 486 at bats, he's a 261, 344, and 448. So he's actually a pretty good hitter in spring training traditionally. The last two springs, he has been much worse than the rest. If you just look at him, um, listen next to each other. So uh, that's not a good sign. Um, in uh, 2014 and 2015, he hit over 300. He had four homers in uh, each of the uh, 20th. 12, 2013, and 2014 seasons, all good offensive seasons for him. Just one home run uh, this year. And again, 132 average, 214 on base, and 263 slugging. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't predict good things from Mr. Hayward this year. Uh, but as Dan Rosenheck 
explained, what you want to look at to as a predictor is are the non are the stats that aren't um, dependent on fielding or the environment you're playing in. So like walks and strikeouts would be a, a key thing to look at. Yeah. I unfortunately did not look at Hayward's walks <laughs> and strikeouts. Well, I mean, Hayward kept a good approach last year. Mm-hmm. He just, when he did make contact, it, he wasn't getting hit. So I would probably say that Hayward is not a great guy. Uh, Using that theory, I think yes. Rosenek would just say it's less predictive. I would think that he would still say, you, like, these stats, these 38 at-bats for Hayward do mean something. Put me, these stats aside, this conversation aside, put me in the camp that says Hayward is going to have a bounce back here. Really? Uh, ESPN ran an article today, uh, talked to seven scouts, and six of the seven suggested that it didn't look, uh, his his swing didn't look any different from last year. But Joe Madden uh, disagrees 100%, says it looks much different, and Hayward himself has said that it's much easier to do his new swing in uh, batting practice rather than games. Hmm. So that's kind of the... Uh, like he's reverting back to his old swing in games? Or? Yeah, it's just it's easier in, in BP to, to do it. Mm. I guess, you know, when, in games you're reacting. You right. can't think too much. Uh, the only other thing I had from spring training, uh, Tim Tebow is headed to low A ball with the Mets, the Columbia Fireflies. Um, so <laughs> get ready to buy those jerseys if you're a Tebow fan. Uh, he is 4 for 20 this spring. Has played in a couple major league games. Um, I think he's like what, three for his last four or something like that. So he's mm-hmm. gonna come on late. No extra base hits still. Yeah, not much. Which not much if, power. if he would have hit a homer in spring training, I feel like social media would have <laughs> broke or something. He he throws it so weird. Yeah. There's an article that uh, um, was kind of going viral today, comparing him to like a, a normal major leaguer and how they throw. Hmm. But I feel that's funny because I feel like when he played football, everyone said he kind of threw it like a exactly a baseball. He he like with his right hand, he squeezes the glove real hard. I have noticed that, yeah. And then um, they just break down. You should Grant Brisby was tweeting about it, so go check that out. Yeah, and the uh, uh, Mets GM Sandy Alderson came out today during the press conference that announced that Tebow was going to South Carolina, and said that um, he's really liked Tebow's. Uh, um, approach at the plate, hmm. um, which is surprising given that he hasn't walked at all. Uh, he got hit by one pitch, but it literally drilled him, uh, like you know, with two strikes. So don't totally get that one. Um, but then he also explained that this isn't a publicity stunt, and that uh, you know, there's all sorts of organizational players, guys that are just in the minors, and Tebow he considers is just another one of those and isn't taking up the spot from a a potential prospect. So I guess take that with a grain of salt. Um, I have gone on record as saying that I don't totally get the, the Tebow hatred at the same time. I don't totally get what the Mets are doing. I think it's pretty clear at this point that, um, that he's not going to be a, a pro player. And so it, the only logical conclusion for me is that there is some publicity stunt element to it. Yeah. You could argue that it, the Tebow thing is taking distraction away from like the Mets starting rotation or health injury risks and those storylines. David Wright got hurt again because um, I haven't really heard much about those things. Yeah, Buster only is all over the David Wright injury story. I feel like every day on his podcast, that's like the first thing he leads with. You listen to that podcast? I do. It's too dry. Just him and like a producer, right? Yeah, I like it though. <laughs> all right, uh, you got anything else? I do not. 
pretty uh, kind of slow spring training cycle. I guess with the WBC, that kind of yeah, it's a good thing though. No injuries and ready for opening day. Absolutely. All right, uh, no baseball on TV this week. Uh, we were too busy in Indy. Um, so Arthur was last week. Check back. Uh, <laughs> check back next week. We'll have something good for you. Uh, next up, we have out of the box. For out of the box this week, I uh, read a um, feature piece from Tim Brown of Yahoo Sports. The piece was entitled "Meet the Guy with the Worst Job in Sports." Any guesses as to who that gentleman is? Oh boy, uh, baseball-related. Um, the worst job in sports. I always thought it'd be terrible to be like a, a Tampa Bay Rays, um, like sales executive, hmm. trying to get like sponsors or like trying to sell season tickets. Probably uh, like the kid right out of college that they hired to, you know, cold call people. That would suck. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I actually might go with that one over what he went with um he went with the pitching coach for the colorado rockies uh steve foster is his name he's been there for uh, two years this will be his second season uh he's been been there for one year right he's been uh he was a major leaguer back in the early 90s for the reds only played three seasons though and um the uh the piece went into kind of some detail about his background but also touched on uh his plans for um, the Rockies this year to kind of uh, make them respectable at least. I I didn't realize this, but the Rockies staff is is super young. Uh, you have one 25 year old and then four 27 year olds. Um, so you're talking an average of somewhere around 26, and and they're so young that uh, a couple of them are quoted in the piece as saying that that Foster is a father figure for them, that they really look to him for for advice and counsel. Um, given uh, given that they pitch in uh, the, the worst um, stadium in baseball for for pitchers, um, but but getting to his plan for this year, and this is what I thought was a little, um, or I was a little skeptical uh, about uh, his plan. It's five elements, and I'll just rattle through them. Uh, one, throw first pitch strikes. Two. Pitch courageously in the zone. Three, field their positions well. Four, hold opposing runners. And five, focus on outlasting the other guy. Um, so that seems like it could be uh, the plan for any team in baseball. <laughs> um, I mean, the fifth one, I guess, is pretty important. Um, focus on outlasting the other guy. And I think that's that's where, where you really need to hone in on. Easier said than done. But if you're a starter for the Rockies, your ERA is just going to be inflated and you have to come to grips with that um, but it's also going to be inflated for for your opponent so um thought it was interesting uh the last time the rockies finished above the last five in baseball in era do you have any guesses pete the last year yeah uh so 24th or better in era make the world series in like 2007 uh no it's 2010 that was when they had ubaldo still so it's been been seven years since yeah, they lost one of their starters uh bettis right mm, to an injury uh to cancer oh wow yeah you didn't hear about that mm. yeah i think chad bettis he's taking chemo so he retired uh, i think he's just taking a break now yeah chemotherapy for um cancer wow that's so sad 
Yeah, yeah he's he, quoted throughout the article. He was supposed to be there like fourth or fifth um, starter. My article uh, hits close to home. It's from Jerry Krasnick. Title is Zimmer Brothers Battling to Take Competition to the Majors. So, Paul, we've talked about um, baseball brothers or, or father-son combos that have played in the majors in the podcast before. Um, but this article focuses on a uh, pair of brothers. Obviously, there's two of them, uh, Kyle Zimmer and Bradley Zimmer. One is a pitcher and one's an outfielder. And there's just been four in the history of baseball um, where a, a pitcher faces his brother as a hitter. Um, it's happened in, you know, like a pitcher throws to a catcher that's his brother or like they're both position players or they're both pitchers, but it's pretty rare for a, a pitcher to face his brother as a hitter, which is was yeah. surpri- surprising to me. Yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to, I don't think. Um, so the four, the most recent one was Colby versus Corey Rasmus in 2013, which I kind of remember. Uh, then Julio versus Rudy Lugo in 2007. George versus Ken Brett in um, uh, over four years, 1976 through 79, 20 at-bats. And then uh, Norm versus Larry Sherry, of course, in the uh, the big 1963 battle. So uh, these uh, Zimmer brothers, they're both really highly touted coming out of of high school. Kyle Zimmer was a pitcher in the, uh, or is a pitcher in the Royal system. He was the fifth overall pick in 2012. And then Bradley Zimmer, his younger brother, by 14 months, is an outfielder in the Indian system. He was a first-round pick in 2014, and uh, he's the better prospect now. He's the number 45 prospect, according to uh, Fangraphs. So, yeah, they're, they're both looking to um, make the majors uh, sometime soon. Zimmer with the Royals is closer um, because he's a bit older now. He's um, 26. Zimmer, like I said, is 14 months younger but is a decent prospect, and uh, he's still in Major League Camp, where Kyle Zimmer is uh, already back in Minor League Camp for the Royals. So interesting to watch. Uh, again, Kyle Zimmer, pitcher for the Royals. Bradley Zimmer is a outfielder for the Indians and uh, a top prospect. Hmm. Uh, Zimmer Zimmer is the 10th uh, overall Red, or, uh, Royals prospect, so he's, he's still a decent pitcher. He's just suffered a lot of injuries and uh, struggled through that. What's interesting is I bet that they haven't faced each other all that often. Because they've likely been on the same team. Yeah, the article goes into depth about you know playing Little League, playing all these sports together. They didn't play football. That was the only thing they couldn't do. Uh, sounds like they grew up in kind of a rich family because their favorite sports were like lacrosse and water polo and <laughs> those sorts of things. Uh, if you were to face me, where would you attack me? What were my weak spots as a better? Uh, I feel like off-speed stuff, but I wasn't very good at that. Like My main thing was outside corner. I feel like you would just kind of Floated out to short right field. Yeah, that two sixty one average. Yeah, I, we we didn't really face each other either, all that much. Maybe in practice. I have one memory of like a, a batting cage duel that that the team got into. <laughs> I don't remember how it fared. Yeah. All right. Well, that was out of the box. You can find those links on our podcast episode page at afootinthebox.com. Next up, we are talking about the World Baseball Classic. All right, so we're talking at WBC, World Baseball Classic. Uh, again, we're going to talk with Casey Bogoslaw later, and he's the, the real expert on the WBC. Uh, but we just want to give our thoughts now. Uh, I guess we're kind of doing this out of order. We should have done it right before. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll do this and then deep dive with Albert Bell and then uh, 
um, interview Casey. So, Paul, what have you made of the uh, fourth uh, World Baseball Classic? Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, to be honest with you, didn't um, get into the 2013 one at all. We weren't podcasting back then. No. Nope. Um, I was more invested in college basketball at the time. Um, but uh, I've, I've really gotten into the WBC, and some of that probably stems from the fact that my like my favorite basketball teams, the Bulls and Illinois, are both terrible, and so I have um, more free time. But to be honest, I don't... I just don't get at all the baseball fan who uh, dislikes the WBC. I feel like the the minimum would be just neutrality because um, it's like the best players in the world, some of the best players in the world, at the minimum good players, playing really passionately a, a sport you like. And so I don't know how you um, c- can watch that and, and like actively dislike it. Mm-hmm. Um that that still kind of baffles the mind, but um, I've really enjoyed it. My favorite moment so far was the the Adam Jones game tying homer mm-hmm. against Venezuela in his hometown, um, and then the U.S. went on that inning to to take the lead. But uh, I, I've really enjoyed that. Also enjoyed Israel's run. Um, but um, yeah, what what have you made so far? Yeah, I think my favorite moment is the um, Nelson Cruz threw in homer, the uh, Dominican Republic USA game. The, their first match that first weekend of the tournament I believe it was a Saturday night um, that was, that game was just amazing uh, great atmosphere sellout at um, Marlins Park and U.S. was up um, kind of comfortably and then the Dominican just went on a tear I think I mean um, I agree with what you're saying that if you're a fan of the sport you should just enjoy mm-hmm. you know good baseball like if you like basketball, you should really like, you know, when USA basketball is good and like looks good and that sort of thing. Um, so it is odd that people are kind of resistant. I think it speaks to like the regional right. aspect of the sport, and it's like, oh, the Red Sox aren't playing. I don't care about um, the team or like, you know, oh, Javi Baez is the only Cubs player. Yeah, like I'll just stick with the Cubs. Hmm. Um, that's not how I feel, but I think that's how a lot of people feel. I uh, I purchased the Javi Baez Puerto Rico jersey. <laughs> after his tag uh, the other night. Um, so yeah, I, and I think that the metrics really bear out that this um, has been a good year for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, press released um, earlier today on Monday, the attendance for the, the first two rounds combined was 976,828, which is the most for any World Baseball Classic. The total for 2013 um, was 885,000. So there's three games still uh, left to be played in Dodger Stadium. I wouldn't imagine the attendance for any of those games will be very high. Just a guess. Maybe if the U.S. makes the, the championship. But Netherlands, uh, Puerto Rico, I'm not sure how many L.A. <laughs> spectators are going to turn out for that. Um, so this is the first year, though, that attendance will surpass uh, 1 million fans. Uh, attendance is up 24% over 2013. And... Um, uh, MLB Network ratings are up 18% through March 11th, so about a week ago. Ratings are up 18% from 2013. That's good news. The USA Dominican game uh, had um, 977,000 viewers on MLB Network, and that was the most ever for a non-playoff game on uh, on MLB Network. And uh, the viewership numbers reported by Nielsen only account for the U.S. audience. International network deals... Um, 
have the WBC in uh, 51 media outlets across 182 countries. And uh, that reaches 415 million households across the globe. Hmm. So I, I think, I mean, obviously the WBC is bigger in places like Japan and Korea, um, probably even like Israel this year because they were good um, rather than the, the U.S. Um, but I think it could, it could get bigger if the U.S. does well. They got a big matchup uh, to, uh, Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, sorry, Tuesday night against Japan. And then the winners um, of tonight and Tuesday play for the championship Wednesday. Yeah, and I've been really surprised. Uh, you've had several guys, Arnado, um, and maybe Archer, both come out and say it's been the best experience uh, of their lives, essentially. Well, a lot of the guys in like Puerto Rico and the Dominican say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, multiple guys that aren't on the team this year saying that maybe they'd consider mm-hmm. uh, in twenty twenty one. Who's the guy? The one guy that isn't playing that you want to see play next time? Oh, for sure, Trout. Not Kershaw? Uh, no, Trout. Hmm. Yeah, that would be fun, but no need for Trout when Adam Jones is hmm. playing out of his mind. Yeah, uh, I think, well, I was going to say Lucas Giolito, but uh, maybe he's Italian? Oh. or <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he'll have a choice. Yeah, Rizzo know. played for Italy uh, in 2013. Yeah, so I've been a huge fan of it. I think the, the thing that it's revealed most to me is that um, like the World Series isn't that big a deal to people from outside the U.S. Like, obviously you want to win and you want to win a championship. Players are never going to say anything but that. But for, like, a guy like Javi Baez, who comes from Puerto Rico to the U.S. just to play baseball, like, it's fun to play baseball on a national stage, have all these fans rooting for you. But he's doing it in another country. He's doing it for, you know, predominantly white people. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest. Yeah, it's, it, it would be fun to play for the Cubs, yes. But, like to play for his own country in environments that are more natural to him, like when they played in uh, Mexico. Like, that's just really fun. Um, and I think it's more fun than, like, the playoffs are mm-hmm. in the U.S. And I was just putting myself in their shoes. Like, if I had to, to go to, like, um, China to play a sport that I was good at or to do something I was good at, but every four years got the opportunity to represent the U.S. and got to play, like, in Canada and, mm-hmm. you know, places like that, like, that would be maybe more fun than right. my China life. Well, yeah, and when we talked to Adrian Burgos, um, professor here at the U of I, uh, he said when, when players uh, come to America, he was talking about Cuba specifically, they, the players are an extension of the country, so they do view them as representing Cuba. And so I would imagine like when Jose Abreu does well, the country feels a sense of pride. Yeah. But that's different than like a whole team representing uh, a or country. Or like for, for a lot of players here, like, Winning a World Series is like the climax of their sports existence, and I just don't think it's quite the same for right. no, players from outside the U.S. I agree. One uh, one moment that I want to talk about from the WBC, I think it really encapsulated like how the WBC might die and then how it was reborn and kind of maybe the future of it. First, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> the first weekend of the tournament, I think it was a Saturday. Uh, it was Saturday because that's when the U.S. played Dominican. Um you had uh, Salvi Perez get uh, hurt at home plate. Uh, Drew uh, Butera, his backup, slid into him. Looked like he, you know, tore an ACL or something. Came out, couldn't put any weight on it. Everyone freaked out. And at that moment, I would say, "Oh man, WBC is dead. Like the Royals fans are going to be upset. The management is going to freak out." Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. Like you just lost a catcher for the year. 
Um, but then the U.S. played the Dominican that night, and that game was just insane and represented everything good about the event. And then I came out that Perez was fine and just needed like a few weeks of rest, or mm-hmm. if that, like I think they're being cautious with him. She should uh, should be good for opening day. So to me, that represented um, like the death and the rebirth of the event all in four hours. Yeah, cool so moment. That's, I'm that's sure. my that's my narrative. I'm sure Manfred was uh, <laughs> was sweating bullets. <laughs> Um, but you wonder, I mean, I think an injury like that to a player from a non-U.S. team has less of an impact than if it was to a U.S. player, just because I don't think Perez after the fact would have, oh yeah, would have questioned, um, even if he tore an ACL, he wouldn't have questioned his participation for them. It means more that they're representing their country. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I think even if that would have happened, I don't think it would have been the death of the WBC, but it does feed does fit very nicely into your narrative. Yeah, I can't wait to tell Benson about that someday. <laughs> All right, you got anything else on the World Baseball Classic? I don't. No, I'm excited to see who wins. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, 2021 will be 30 years old. Yeah. Can't wait to Our watch. Our podcast will be owned by ESPN at that point. And <laughs> we'll be millionaires. I think uh, being millionaires is more likely than us <laughs> podcasting for ESPN. Probably true. All right, uh, well, next up, we have a deep dive, and uh, we're talking about Albert Bell this week. So Albert Bell was my pick for uh, for this week's deep dive. Uh, yeah, last time uh, we debuted deep dive, talked about the 2001 offseason and contraction. Mm-hmm. So these are, you know, five to ten minute um, kind of explorations into an interesting, maybe uh, not so talked about um, domain of baseball in, in, in baseball's history. So, uh, Albert Bell is our, our, uh, deep dive candidate this week. And let me just say, uh, sometimes like a player gets sort of hyped up in your head or aspects of him get hyped up in your head. But then when you like go and do some research, uh, you're just skeptical. If your initial perception was right, I had that feeling about Ty Cobb where every, mm-hmm. everyone writes about what a, just a jerk he was and just a real kind of a-hole. But then if you do some reading about him, you see like, yeah, maybe some of it was fabricated. Some of it was false. You know, people are trying to smear his image, his reputation, but that is not the case with Albert Bell. Um, You know, after listening to this, I strongly encourage you maybe even while listening to go Google Albert Bell It's just uh, link after link after link provides these unbelievable stories I guess before we get into some of that, some of the extracurricular off the field um, stuff that really makes his reputation so fascinating. First, let's just talk about maybe him and him as a player. Yeah. So uh, he was born in 1966 in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, He was a member of National Honor Society, which Hmm. Peter and I cannot say. Yeah. We were um, banned. Part part of a smear campaign against our family. (laughs) This is true. Uh, so he's a member of NHS. He's also a Boy Scout and an Eagle Scout. To the listeners out there, uh, this this is true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, there was a campaign against Paul and I for <laughs> minor infractions, and we were not allowed in NHS. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, Bell played college baseball at LSU uh, at home in Louisiana. Now he was known as Joey Bell at this point in his life. Uh, false. No. True. True. Huh. 
he went into, uh, we'll probably get into this later, he went into alcohol rehab in the minor leagues after an incident, and after that, uh, uh, asked to be called Albert Bell. Hmm. Albert was his first name, but for some reason he went by Joey up until that point. Wow, interesting. Uh, There's some baseball cards with Joey Bell on them. Wow. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, he played uh, at LSU from 85 to 87. Uh, dominated there, similar to like a Bo Jackson. Um, you know, he was all SEC from '86 to '87. Uh, his numbers are insane. He, OPS of near a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, went on to be drafted second, uh, drafted in the second round in the 1987 draft by the Indians. That's the same draft as Ken Griffey Jr. going first overall to the Mariners and Craig Biggio being drafted by the Astros in the first round. Yeah, I looked. Um, Mike Mussina also was in that draft. Uh, but beyond him, I think Bell is probably the fourth best player in terms of career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't look at it too too thoroughly. but You also had Ron Coomer, uh, Steve Finley, Jeremy Burnett, Jeff Cirillo, and Rob Nen were some of the other uh, you know, more famous players in that draft. Mm-hmm. So that was the 87 draft. Uh, he made his debut with the Indians two years later. Uh, one more note on that draft. Sure. Uh, so the um, Mariners got Griffey first overall because they had the worst record. But at that time, the AL and NL alternated picks. So whoever had the worst record um, went first, and then they alternated. Like so. Bizarre. Um, like the worst in the AL would go first if they were the, the worst team, and then the worst in the NL, and then AL, NL. Strange. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Hmm. So he made his debut in uh, 89, two years after being drafted. Um, and as a player... You know, if you just look at his numbers, uh, pretty phenomenal. He had a 12-year career, played for three teams, the Indians, White Sox, and Orioles. Uh, lifetime batting average of two ninety five. Um, several seasons where he batted well over three hundred. Um, one year over three fifty. Um, had 380 homers. Uh, he was a five-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger. Um, had, a, had a season of 50 homers and 50 doubles in 1995. Mm-hmm. And would have won the MVP if he wasn't a complete jerk uh, to the media. Lost to move on. Right, yeah. And from 91 through 2000, so for a 10-year stretch, Bell averaged a 295 average, 37 homers, and 120 RBIs. And then, uh, kind of famously, at least if you're a White Sox fan, uh, Bell broke the $10 million uh, per season uh, record terms of his contract when he signed a five-year, $55 million deal with the White Sox uh, in 1997, which was a big deal because uh, the White Sox owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, was was pretty was a pretty strong proponent of, uh, you know, having a luxury cap and limiting mm-hmm. um, uh, teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox from spending a lot of money. So he broke the bank for Bell in 97, a lot of owners were upset with him, um, but then he also uh, had the highest paid player in basketball too, uh, Michael Jordan. Thirty million dollars. Yeah, shows the uh, like economics of sports back then and how much mm-hmm. things have changed. Yeah, if you go back and look, there were so many articles. I saw one from Sports Illustrated that talked about how that five-year, fifty-five million dollar deal was like the the downfall of uh, baseball. That mm. that after you you uh, broke ten million, there's no going back and. Uh, things were going to snowball, and, and the game was no longer going to be as fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's all I have as uh, about Bell as a player. Anything to add, Pete? Yeah, some notes that stood out to me just from his stats. Um, he had an OBP of over 400. 
uh, three straight years, 94, 95, and 96. In 2016, David Ortiz led baseball in slugging with a 620 slugging percentage, and Bell had over that four times in his career. Mm. In uh, in 97, after he signed with the White Sox, he had a real strange year. His OBP dipped to 332 and a 491 slugging, both by far the worst of his career. Uh, so maybe that contract is weighing on him a bit. Yeah, played a full season worth of games, wasn't hurt or anything. Hmm. So interesting to to know. As that. we'll get into a second, he is rather unpredictable. Sure. So who yep. knows what was going on? Yep. His career war was thirty nine point nine. Only six players have hit uh, thirty home runs and hundred RBIs for eight straight seasons. Uh, Bell is one of them. So there's five others. Paul, can you name them? Mm, uh, Babe Ruth. Yep. Um, Mickey Mantle. Uh, nope. Ken Griffey. Nope. A Rod. A Rod is one. Another current player. Albert Pools. Yep. And then uh, Jimmy Fox and Lou Gehrig. Hmm. Uh, he had the highest salary in uh, baseball in 97, 98, and 99 and 2000. 2000 was his last year in baseball. Uh, just had a .64 for the uh, the Orioles in 2000. He had some very weird contracts. Uh, like you mentioned, the big one with the White Sox, 5 for 55. But he had a strange clause in that contract where... He must be the top in the top three in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the White Sox didn't want to do that, then he instantly became a free agent. So after two seasons, uh, the White Sox refused to pay him uh, the salary that would require him to be in the top three. So the, he was left to negotiate with other teams, and the Orioles signed him to a five-year, $65 million contract. Only played two years with the Orioles. Uh, retired after 2000 because of a hip um, injury. Similar to Bo Jackson. Yeah. Honestly, didn't have any injuries before that. Um, and then uh, the Orioles um, uh, had insurance, so they didn't really have to pay anything after that. But Bell got paid $37 million uh, from 2001 to 2003 and never played a single game in that hmm. stretch. Yeah. And in fact, you know, his consistency should be um, noted because after Ripken, after his streak ended of consecutive games played, mm-hmm. Bell was the next active uh, player. Yep. Uh, interesting quote from the New York Times article that you mentioned earlier. We can link to it. Uh, Bell said after he signed that huge contract with the White Sox, it wasn't about the money. I'm sure I could have shopped around and got more money, but you have to look at the personnel and the organization. I was very excited about being a part of the lineup. I hope I can make the organization better. Hmm. Seems like it was very much about the money. Yes. White Sox in those two years were 80 and 81 and 82 and 80. Yeah, disappointment. Uh, but let's get into uh, his controversies. Yes, uh, and this is the fascinating uh, part of, of Albert Bell. Um, so I've got a top three here. I'll roll with that, and then you can fill in the gaps. Yeah, yeah I've got a couple kind of under-the-radar ones okay. that I, I enjoyed. So my top three. Uh, first, in 1991, Bell was heckled by a fan at a home game. Uh, for his alcohol issues. Yep. Invited him to a uh, keg party, right? Yes. Obviously over the line. Not cool. But if you've ever attended a sporting event, you know that there are a ton of idiots at games. Uh, Bell grabbed a foul ball um, while he was playing in the outfield and proceeded to pelt the fan with it, uh, bruising his chest. Uh, He received a six-game suspension. Um, I cannot imagine the terror you would feel after Albert Bell picked up a ball and like turned in to throw it at you. Mm-hmm. 
So that, that's number three. Number two, prior to game three of the 1995 World Series, Bell verbally assaulted NBC's Hannah Storm. Now works for ESPN. Or mm-hmm. Does she still work for ESPN? Yeah. Um, in the dugout, you know, Storm was there to interview another player, but apparently that set Bell off, and for, you know, reports are over five minutes, he was yelling profanity at her, so much so that she, after he was done, was shaking. Um, and then uh, the next spring, Sports Illustrated went to write a cover piece about him, and uh, they sent two photographers. Yeah, this is my favorite one. To uh, to photograph him for the cover piece. Um, Bell became upset at Sports Illustrated for kind of allegedly, what he, what he would say, covering the negative aspects to him. He told Sports Illustrated that they could kiss his black, uh, black ass. But uh, he, to the two photographers, he threw two baseballs at them. And uh, he struck one of them in the hand as he guarded his face from being being hit by the ball. Two photographers trying to take pictures of him for a feature piece. Right. Yeah, just absurd. Uh, and then my favorite, I don't know if favorite's the right word, but my number one uh, most shocking Albert Bell story, Halloween 1995. Uh, this was right after the World Series, right after Hannah Storm. Uh, Bell chased down a group of uh, trick-or-treaters in his car, uh, hit one of them. He claims it was rainy and that the car skidded, uh, but then th- called the cops and to the cops on the phone threatened to kill uh, these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so just an insane guy. Well, and, and the story goes that the kids went to Bell's house. Bell refused to give them any candy or anything. And uh, so the kids egged his house, and that's when he chased him down in the car. Right, yeah. What's uh, you said you had a couple under the radar? Well, so the the Sports Illustrated one, um, the photographers, and then also the the incident when he threw the baseball at the fan, Jeff Pilar. So we should get him on the podcast. He was thirty three and ninety one. I don't know if we want to go there. That's traumatic. <laughs> uh, the title of the New York Times article was "Bell hits fan with a ball." <laughs> uh, the Fernando Vina play is the one that's he's most yeah. famous for. Ninety six. He ran over Fernando Vina trying to turn a double play in the baseline, just you know, full out football, uh, like a safety to a receiver. Now, apparently, the backstory there is that the first base coach, who was tight with Bell, told him, "If there's a double play, break it up violently." Mm-hmm. So I think there was some backstory with Vina uh, and the Brewers playing um, the the Indians. Uh, just uh, some more. Uh, suspension history uh, in 1990 in the minors he was suspended for five games for destroying a clubhouse sink and that's when he went to rehab and came out and switched his name from Joey to Albert uh, in 1992 he was given a three game suspension for charging the mound same thing three game suspension in 1993 uh, for charging the mound 94 the court bat incident uh, the White Sox uh, told the umpires, hey, Bell's bat is corked. The umpires took it, put it in their room, locked the door, uh, and then uh, uh, the uh, pitcher for the Indians. Jason uh, Grimsley. Yeah, yeah and we've Grimsley. actually got a clip uh, here that explains that in more detail. Yeah, but he went through the vents, took the bat out. Uh, yeah, umpires in- realized what happened. Uh, it was corked. Bell still disputes that it was corked and says the White Sox planted it. Uh, was suspended seven games for that. 
Uh, of course, the Hannah Storm Halloween thing. He wasn't uh, suspended anything for that. Just fined a, a bunch of money. Uh, and then lastly, the kind of interesting nugget, September of 2000 was the first injury of his career, the hip injury, and then he uh, he would never play again. Uh, he did homer in his last major league at bat hmm. uh, with uh, with the Orioles. So I would think uh, Indians fans loved him for a while, but he's been real icy towards them, refuses to come back to any Hall of Fame gathering for the Indians or um, any reunion um, mm-hmm. for the Indians. And so I, I doubt they like him too much. White Sox fans uh, probably don't like him all that much, and I know Orioles fans hate him. Um, so not a well-liked guy. Yeah, and there's the the famous uh, Buster Olney in his book talked about how... <laughs> it's on Wikipedia too, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he hated... Was it, he, he hated the clubhouse being too warm. Yeah, it would turn it to below 60 degrees. And then he would break it with his bat. Yep. And so his nickname around baseball was Mr. Freeze. Yep. Uh, also enjoyed from only, uh, he slurped coffee constantly and seemed to be a, on a perpetual caffeinated frenzy. Few escaped his wrath. On some days, he would destroy the post-game buffet, <laughs> launching plates into the shower. After one poor at-bat against Boston, he retreated to the visitor's clubhouse and took a bat to Kenny Lofton's boombox. What's crazy is that a lot of Indians players uh, thought that he played much better when he was angry. Well, that's the, there's a Sports Illustrated feature in 1996 right after the, I guess right after, probably the piece <laughs> that the photographers were trying to take pictures for uh, that talked about how he was driven by anger and he had a extreme distrust in everyone. He thought that everyone was just trying to use him hmm. and uh, kind of hated hated everyone because of that. Uh, but yeah, not many people, including his fraternal twin, kind of know what what makes him tick. Yeah. Um, Pete talked about the the cork bat incident. That is a story that deserves like its very own podcast. So we're gonna uh, get to that. But to do so, we're gonna use a Fox Sports kind of a mini documentary they did. Uh, it's less than five minutes, but they tell the story really well, and uh, I thought you guys would enjoy it. impossible when Tom Cruise is hanging from the ceiling on the rope. You say we've had a break-in in your dressing room. It was truly breaking and entering. No, I don't think anybody could believe I'd actually pulled it off. July 15th, 1994. The All-Star break had just ended, and the Indians and White Sox were about to start the second game of a four-game series at New Comiskey Park. There, the greatest undercover heist in baseball history went down. At the center of this 90s caper was Albert Bell, the Indians' often fiery, power-hitting left fielder. Good evening and welcome back to Comiskey Park in Chicago. We were in the first inning. Albert had just come up to home plate. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Gene Lamont standing right next to me, the manager of the White Sox. He said, Dave, he said, I'd like for you to check Albert's bat. I think he's using a tampered or illegal bat. Ah, we're checking the bat right here of Albert Bell. Is it corked? Could it be? We thoroughly looked at the bat, and I came back, and I said, Albert, we're going to have to take this and check it more thoroughly after the game. They're going to take this bat and probably x-ray it. My clubhouse attendant was back there who takes care of the umpire's room. I just put this in, in my locker and uh, make sure that it's secure. Our uh, manager, Mike Hargrove, put his hands in his head, and Buddy Bell was sitting next to me. I said, Buddy, what's, what's wrong with Mike? 
And he said, um, we're done. There's a good chance that bat's court. I looked at Buddy and said, Buddy, I think I can get that bat. So when I walked in with umpires today, and if I'm not mistaken, the clubhouse is a false ceiling, and I know there's cinder block walls, I said, I bet I could make my way back to the umpire's room, crawl down and get that bat. He went and talked to Mike Hargrove, and Grover looked over at me and gave me the thumbs up, and, and we were off. Here's the rock, Tim Raines. Takes a breaking ball low, and the count, one and nothing. I went inside, uh, I took my jersey off, put some tennis shoes on, put some batting gloves on. I need a flashlight. Had a sanitary wrap around my face. However, didn't have one bat, BP, or game that was not corked. So we found a bat that was similar. It was a Paul Sorrento model. Put some pine tar on it, threw a little rosin on it, got it all tacky like it sort of been used, put it in the sanitary. Strike one to Manny Ramirez, one of the great-looking young rookies in the big leagues right now. He's just 21 years old. I went into Mike Hargrove's office, lifted up a towel, and got on the cinder block walls and started started making my way to the, to the umpire's room. Uh, it's dark, dusty, hot. It had to be close to 95 to 100 degrees. Couldn't really breathe. There's little support beams everywhere. There's uh, air conditioning ducts. There are wires, outlets, boxes. So I was having to go through some pretty tight spaces. Here's Jackson. He hits this one in the air left field. Deep, Albert Bell is under it now, just short of the warning track. I get to where I think the umpire's room is. I lift up a tile to peek in, and when I lift a tile up, uh, one of the grounds crew guys was in there, and he looked up at me, and I looked down at him, and I just put my finger on my, over my lip, and he looked up and went, gave me the okay, and I continued on. Little shopper, comebacker, and very quickly, two go. I found the room, I pick up the, the ceiling tile, and I'm, I'm right over the refrigerator. I can actually feel my heart beating in my ears. That's how, that's how much my adrenaline was pumping. And I dropped down in, took the bat with me, sat on top of the refrigerator, put my foot on the counter, stepped down the floor, walked over, found, uh, found the bat in one of the Alpire's lockers. It was wrapped up in a sanitary, so all I had to do was replace it. Came back, crawled back up, put the ceiling tile down. That was pretty intense. You think for any second you're going to get caught. With mission bat swap now complete, Grimsley carefully retraced his path back to the visitor's locker room. In total, the trip took him five and a half innings and over an hour and a half. Ground ball hit hard at Tomey. Over to second, that'll do it. The game ended in a 3-2 Cleveland win. As Dave Phillips made his way back to the umpire's locker room, he was approached by Ron Schuler, the White Sox general manager. He said, Dave, we've had a break-in in your dressing room. And I, I was, I, I said, a break-in. And then I see the big hole in the ceiling and all this stuff hanging down and stuff all over the floor. And then you're kind of putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. They came in and broke in our dressing room to steal this bat. Schuler and White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf were determined to get to the bottom of the great bat heist of 94. Before the third game of the series the next day, Kevin Hallinan, a former FBI agent who is now affiliated with Major League Baseball, was brought to Comiskey. His job, to tear apart the crime scene in search of even the smallest clue. When I go to my dressing room, they've got it carding off with the yellow police tape, and there's guys in the ladders and they're back up in the tiles, and it, I don't know whether they're taking fingerprints or what they're doing, but they're seeking and searching everything in the room just as though a major crime had happened. The White Sox weren't going to let the bat disappear without a fight. With mounting pressure from Chicago and the commissioner's office, a meeting took place two days after the theft, where Indians GM John Hart presented Bell's original bat to Schuler and Reinsdorf, with the stipulation that the assailant, who wasn't known to the White Sox, would not be prosecuted or punished for the break-in. I was not fined, I was not suspended. I just couldn't tell anybody about it, ever. 
Unfortunately, Albert Bell didn't fare as well. His bat was analyzed, found to be corked. The slugger was given a 10-game suspension that was eventually reduced to seven. Grimsley's participation in Bell's bat heist remained a mystery for over 10 years. That was fun, between the adrenaline rush and you know the sense of, of being able to pull something off that I don't think anybody thought I could pull off. It's a little bit of history. I don't think it's ever happened before. I don't think it'll ever happen again. So there you have it. That is the Cork Bat story, and uh, that's our deep dive on Albert Bell, a great player, but uh, an even greater uh, head case. And uh, I'm honestly surprised we haven't heard more from him since retirement, but hopefully he's turned a corner and has become somewhat normal. I hope you enjoyed that. And again, if you have a, a topic or person, player, event that you want us to look at with deep dive, feel free to let us know on Twitter at a foot in the box or email a foot in the box at gmail.com. All right, uh, we're going to go back to the World Baseball Classic and going to interview Casey Bogoslaw of rlbaseball.com. So here is that interview. Our guest this week on the podcast is Casey Bogoslaw. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Casey Bogusaw, Bogoslaw. That's B-O-G-U-S-L-A-W. And you can find his writing at robaseball.com. Casey, welcome to our podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Well, before we get into our uh, World Baseball Classic questions, and we have uh, several for you, I uh, just wanted to know your thoughts as an Illini fan on the hire of Brad Underwood, the much, uh, I guess, not expected hire. Kind of came out of left field. Yeah, that was not on my list. I was... Uh, completely taken off guard when it, when the announcement came on Saturday. I'm very excited. I uh, listened to his press conference this afternoon, and uh, I actually listened to – I still listen to Champagne's uh, radio, their ESPN affiliate. Uh, Tay and Jay? Yeah, pretty much daily. Oh, yeah, it's so, great. I, I, yeah, I think I think uh, Jeremy Warner is one of the best out there. I, I, I think I, – I envisioned big and uh, you know bigger things for him, not that uh, doing radio <laughs> – huge but uh anyway uh, i i really liked what i heard from uh the press conference and then their interview with him um he sounds like he and it's not even really important what he sounds like i think he lo- he's done great things uh mm-hmm. in, in his coaching experience uh, with Stephen f austin and, and then with o- oki state this year uh it's gonna be cool to have a team with an identity i don't think we really had that with gross so i'm I am a huge, huge, huge Illinois basketball fan, way more than a football fan. Hmm. Uh, like we were discussing before we got on, I went during, I went to school there during the glory days. So, and, and it was not the, it was far from glory days in football. So I was all basketball all the time. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get back to where they were in, uh, like the '05 range. <laughs> that would be nice. And Underwood actually has some analytical stuff to him. That that was encouraging to hear. He's. He's really into like the numbers of uh, yep. the first seven seconds of the shot clock and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I'm extremely excited about that. As a very, very analytical person myself, it was great to hear him say that. Especially, I mean, not being ageist or anything, but uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's he's been in the game, you know, for 30 years. He's been coaching for 30 years, and it's uh, cool to see a guy, you know, that is older still being, you know, still adjusting to the changes in the game. So, I'm uh, very, very excited. 
All right, well, moving over to the World Baseball Classic. Uh, you've done some great work. I've really enjoyed um, your coverage of it. I feel like maybe uh, beyond uh, John Morosi, you're like the number two expert on uh, on uh, the World Baseball Classic of uh, the people that I follow on Twitter. Uh, just curious to know your your reaction t- uh, to the event so far. You know, we're recording this just as the first semifinal game is taking place. But, um, yeah, what's your, what's your take on how the whole event has gone so far? It's it's been fantastic. I really think anyone that gave it time and uh, and really put you know enthusiasm in watching this has enjoyed themselves. Um, I, I like that my feed has been very very excited for these games because I think that they've been great. Uh, I wrote in my I called it my final four preview, kind of obviously in jest with March Madness going on uh, on the basketball end, but it, this we are down to the final four in the tournaments. The fact that there's only been there's been four mercy rule games because they do have mercy rules in uh, this tournament because uh, sometimes the competition is, you know, there's a little bit of a talent gap in between. But there's only been four mercy rule games and there's been six extra inning games. So it just tells you that the talent has been very, very even. We've been treated to, you know, the the sleeper surprise teams like Israel, uh, Italy performed very well, Colombia performed very well. These are the teams. You know, some most of them had to, uh, you know, uh, earn entry in a qualifying round. They weren't supposed to compete with the favorites, and they certainly have. Uh, even you know, Australia played a very good game against Japan. So all the games have been, uh, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. very, very close and very exciting. Uh, pretty much every one of America's games um, has been tight. Uh, maybe just the Canada game notwithstanding, but. Um, we've had some awesome games with some awesome plays that Adam Jones <laughs> robbing Machado of a home run, I mm-hmm. think is going to live in infamy. <laughs> um, I think everyone saw that even if they're not watching these games, you know, religiously like I am, uh, I think that at least, I think for once, uh, sports center had to show the world baseball classic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, that's good to see. Yeah. The, uh, the, like the still photos of that catch are just, uh, like my favorite thing of the whole tournament so far. Well, I, I sat down to make a list of, of my favorite moments uh, from the tournament because I feel like that's, for me, that's the takeaway is just all these uh, amazing moments that, especially on like Twitter or social media, really stand out, which um, maybe isn't the case during the regular season. So uh, you've got the Javi Baez tag that went viral, mm-hmm. uh, Stanton's homer earlier in that game that was just a missile. Uh, you got the Jones catch, uh, Jones's walk-off hit the, the first game for the U.S., his big homer uh, in the second round. Puerto Rico had all the, the bat flips and Lindor's enormous home run. Uh, Jose Bautista threw out the Columbia runner at home uh, to save really the U.S. and the Dominicans' chances um, so they didn't have to play the yep. tiebreaker game. Manny Machado's had a ton of great defensive plays. Nelson Cruz's threw in homer against the U.S. Uh, Israel's great run. Italy scoring five runs in the bottom of the ninth to beat Mexico. I mean, it's just an insane list. I don't feel like I'm even exaggerating. All those moments were great. Uh, so my question, I guess, to you is, do you have a favorite moment? And uh, is this year unique in the amount of moments it's had? Or is, am I just not remembering 2013 and the years before that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to pull that as well. Um, it does seem like a very, very long time ago. I do think that this has been uh, a more exciting tournament. Maybe it's that the United States has... has 
uh, gone further than they did in the 2013 version. But uh, you you listed uh, a bunch of really good ones. Um, the Japan Netherlands game that uh, you know could be a, a preview of the the, the finals mm-hmm. uh, that, that went to extra innings. It was the first game to. Uh, go into the ridiculous 11th inning rule, but uh, it it was a great game, the whole game, and uh, I kind of made a joke on Twitter that the, the rule kind of ruined it because uh, Japan just took advantage of it like they would definitely. I, I'm talking about that they put runners on first and second and start mm-hmm. the inning, of course. Um, God, the Baez t- tag is awesome just because Javi Baez is awesome. Um, but a- Adam Jones, I mean, who would have really expected Adam Jones to be the United States hero so far <laughs> uh, after, you know, kind of a down year? He, he's getting a little bit up there in age. Um, I know when the first lineup came out for their the United States opening game and he was slated as the second batter in the order, uh, our Slack chat room at our baseball kind of went crazy. Like, what in the world is we <laughs> thinking if we're batting this guy who... Pretty much never takes a walk. Well, Stan uh, Stan's hit eighth, which is just Stan, insane. Stan's hitting eighth. It was like, what is it, what is the lineup? And uh, Hosmer's always been like fourth or fifth, but Hosmer and Jones have made Leland look pretty smart because those two are the guys that have have really succeeded. Um, but really, I mean, I know it's the easy answer, but that Adam Jones home run catch is going to be the play that gets remembered from this tournament i don't think anything could beat that you know we still have three games to play though yeah exactly yeah i I think if the u.s wins uh and i'm probably outdating this podcast um but if if they do win i think it could be a cool moment like i think there's there's some um hype for for u.s fans maybe for the first time uh in regards to the the world baseball classic because they've gotten you know further than they have in, in previous years uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out here really quick. I think tomorrow's game, the United States versus Japan, is the most important game of the tournament. Hmm. Um, because I I think I think people you know even you know people here in America know that Japan has a very you know historic um, you know background in, in baseball, and and I think that because a lot of those players aren't MLB players, but they are extremely talented and the the Nippon Professional Baseball League is you know it, it's not quite MLB level but it's still a very very talented baseball league um this is going to be a great game that's very very important to i think the global you know for, for global spectators of the sport mm-hmm. um you know if the United States wins and the game is against the you know the winner of the game that's going on right now the um Puerto Rico against the Netherlands. We already saw United States versus Puerto Rico. It's going to be a great game. It's a lot of fun. Puerto Rico has a lot of fun players. Netherlands has a lot of fun players too. But I think United States Japan is the game that I'm most excited for. I'm kind of, as an American fan, I'm scared <laughs> to play Japan. But I, I think that's going to be the best game of the tournament. So I'm I'm extremely excited for for uh, for tomorrow's game. Yeah, and I think even if the U.S. were to bow early. I think it's fair to say that that this year has been a success, to deem it a success. You know, ratings are up, attendance is up. Um, yeah. But do you feel like that's a sustainable thing moving forward? And I, I, get, I guess it is a little hard to predict four years out, but do you think it's sustainable moving forward? I think, well... well, <laughs> Will the United States still exist in four years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows what's going on with the political uh, climate? But uh, I, I think the tournament will continue. I think... I think Manfred has made that clear. Um, I think what's going to be great for this tournament is, you know, this country wants to win at sports. You know, they didn't really get into basketball in the Olympics until 
NBA players went. And now it's a big, big thing to watch the NBA players in the Olympics. Um, the big sports that we get in, excited for in the Olympics are the sports that they're good for, that they're good at, um, you know, the swimming and, you know, the women's gymnastics team. Those are the sports that really get a lot of pub in the United States because they're expected to win. Um, I don't think that they've, I think they, they're always expected to win the World Baseball Classic, but they haven't. They mm-hmm. went in this tournament with a 10-10 and 10 record. The furthest they got was the semifinals. I think if they win the tournament, yes, it will be even bigger for the future. Um, Mike Trout has said that he already wants to play next time. Nice. Um, and, and I think he's he's noticed the excitement. I don't know why he's not playing this time, but uh, I, I think that it, it's just it's it's growing um, and it's and it's uh, you know in its interest across the league, even with the players. But I think what uh, American fans really want to see is they want to see the best of the best. They want to see Mike Trout on this team, um, Bryce Harper, Chris Bryant, Clayton Kershaw, mm-hmm. um, Chris Sale. You know, we have no disrespect to Tanner Roark, but Tanner <laughs> Roark is starting uh, it, the semifinal game against Japan tomorrow. And uh, fellow Illini, by the way, fellow yeah. Illini, Tanner yeah. Roark, um, He's what I mean. Even if we're limiting this to American-born players in in Major League Baseball, Tanner Roark is maybe top twenty pitcher mm-hmm. in the in the you know, uh, and he, he's pitching the you know one of the most important games in this in this tournament's history. Um, and that's a little alarming. Uh, it it kind of stinks that it's not Chris Archer. And again, no disrespect, but. Uh, Archer at least has some some name value uh, across fans, you know, throughout the sports. I don't think many people know who Tanner Roark is. He's the third best pitcher on his own team. So mm-hmm. um, that's, uh, you know, a little. Uh, it's going to be hard for people to get excited to see Tanner Roark take stage, but I, I, I'm I'm hoping that they do. Yeah, Jim Leland has been full of uh, surprises, not just with the lineup, but also with with Roark. Um, a question I'm curious about, uh, you know, like I said, probably safe to call it a, the the BPC a, a success this year, but but moving forward, what would it take for Major League Baseball to to end the WBC? Would it be injuries, uh, you know, just attendance plummeting? What's kind of the landscape as we as we look forward for the Major League Baseball to to can the WBC? So here's the big thing. Baseball is going back in the Olympics in 2020. So that does put a little bit of, uh, you know, some interesting uh, hurdles that they're going to have to go go over to make the next WBC, which we would think would be scheduled for 2021. You know, to have two international tournaments like that back to back, probably I, I think that they're going to try to have professional uh, players in the Olympics as well, just like basketball, like I mentioned before. So to do turn two tournaments like this right in a row, uh, it, it might not happen. Um, and it, you know, you have to schedule a lot of time. You have to have qualifying rounds for both, um, both tournaments. So that does get a little bit sticky. Um, but I do think that, you know, Manfred has gone out and says, you know, he has said that he wants it to happen. Tony Clark, the player rep has said the same thing right now. I, I with how much how much interest has been in it, you guys mentioned the the, the ratings and the attendance. I, I don't think that there's a really good reason for it to go away. You know, Didi Gregorius got hurt in, in an exhibition preparing for the World Baseball Classic uh, yesterday. So injuries happened. Salvador, Salvador Perez got hurt by 
kind of hilariously his own teammate, his backup <laughs> uh, in the tournaments. That's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen in spring training. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, uh, what's the guy's name from um, the the Cardinals? Reyes, their, yeah. know, their pitcher got hurt in a, a spring training game. If that happened in the World Baseball Classic, you know, would it be, you know, the end of the world? No, this, this happens when players are playing sports regardless of, I guess what implications are behind the the stakes. Um, no, I don't. I, I can't see a way that this is canceled. But when I was doing my podcast series, um, there were a couple people across the globe that you know I had experts on from different teams that didn't think that there would be another instance of the mm-hmm. World Baseball Classic. But uh, I will kind of uh, give myself a little bit pub, but and say that when I did have I had JP Morosi on the podcast, and he said that he believes that there will be another one. He was pretty much guaranteeing that there will be another one. He's the one who brought up the the uh, the fact that they will have to work around the Olympics, though. Yep, and he would be the one that would uh, <laughs> would have the best oh, yeah. uh, the best opinion on that. Uh, Paul George didn't he get hurt during a, a USA basketball? Qualifying. Oh my God! Yes, that was. Oh my God, that was such a vicious injury. Yeah, I remember. I I was watching it live. Why? Why I was watching a Olympic qualifier live? I don't know, <laughs> but I watched that play live. It was yeah. disgusting. Yeah, I remember people just being like sick over over that play. All right. Well, uh, to end the podcast, uh, final question: uh, As you, you know, just watched the WBC as a fan and, and uh, write about it, podcast about it, uh, what's your favorite thing about the event? The excitement that's across the globe. So, like I mentioned, we did uh, it was about I don't know eight to ten part uh, preview series. We've got uh, a bunch of uh, experts, you know, people ranging from huge fans to experts. We got a couple guys that actually work for the teams, um, but. I was able to ask them questions about what kind of expectations and what kind of excitement happens in these other foreign countries for this tournament. And they were just over the moon and telling me that, that it's such a huge event. And we don't really see that in this country, you know, United States. I, you know, people are would rather watch spring training games than watch this for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, but my the reason why I got so excited for this and why my excitement grew during all of the work that I did to help uh, preview the series was seeing uh, and hearing uh, how important it is across the globe. Uh, You know, how, you know, uh, yeah, the game against uh, the United States for Colombia was probably the biggest game that they've ever seen in their, you know, in their country's history. And, you know, the country was going crazy and that game went to extra innings. It was a fantastic game. And Jose Quintana was a, you know, a hero that he would, he, he no hit the American team, which is a bunch of all-stars for, <laughs> mm-hmm. what was it? Like five and two thirds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a White Sox fan, I, I freaking loved it. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it just, the, the overall excitement, it, it got me excited. Absolutely, yeah. We've loved uh, covering, uh, covering it, and, and watching it. Um, have stayed up too late and gotten up, gotten up too early a few times. Uh, yep, yep. Especially during Israel's run, I feel like I was waking up at like five thirty just to check this, check the score. Uh, and I am definitely not Jewish, so it didn't really make <laughs> any sense. Well, uh, listeners, uh, check out Casey's work at robaseball.com. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, Casey, thanks so much for joining us. 
Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'll be back anytime. And yeah, I would love to have you guys on in the RO Baseball podcast at some point, too. Yeah, go Atlanta. Go Atlanta. Thanks so much to Casey for joining us. I uh, really enjoyed uh, that conversation. And I uh, would encourage you to, to follow him on Twitter at Casey Boguslaw. That's B O G U S L A W. Um, yeah, so uh, looking ahead, uh, opening day is just, uh, I guess, a week and a half away. Hard to believe. Yes, um, a week from uh, this upcoming Sunday. Our weekly uh, podcast start back up next Monday. We have been doing every other week in the off season, but next Monday they start every week. Uh, this next Monday we'll do over-unders and preview the season. So last year uh, was the first year we did it where we took a Vegas over-under line. Uh, Paul and I both gave our predictions uh, then we uh, kind of incorporate uh, Pakoda's projection in that and then have you uh, join in the fun um, and fill out just a, a little survey um, where you pick over under as well. And then you can track it all year long on our website, afootinthebox.com. Uh, so uh, we'll debut that after the podcast uh, comes out next Monday. So uh, prove that you're smarter than us and prove that you're smarter than Pakoda. Uh, last year, Pakoda did pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think they were ninth overall of about uh, 60 people that filled that out. Uh, Paul did fairly well as, I believe, maybe top 10, and but I, I was uh, I was below average, so I'll have to redeem myself this year. Um, but we're excited. Opening day is the Monday after that, and so we always do a, a fun kind of season preview podcast for that. Uh, so we're excited to, to start the season, and then I guess on the opening day podcast we can talk about some things that we're going to try out for the uh, 2017 season, our third uh, MLB season yeah. as a podcast. Hard to believe. Well, you can, uh, again, send us emails, footinthebox at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box and uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Would appreciate that. Make sure to leave us a review if you enjoy the program. I think, uh, think that's it make sure to if you're listening to this on tuesday or wednesday make sure to catch the wbc final or semi-final hopefully the u.s makes the final and that's uh, on mlb network or uh, mlb tv on your computer yep here's to uh, a couple u.s wins this week and uh, just a reminder as we wrap up to keep a foot in the box we'll close it out with more uh, chuck berry and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week for some over-unders 